This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Clayton Jacobson owns Dream Screen Australia, an LED volume virtual production studio in Melbourne. He's also a writer, director, producer, actor, musician, and editor. Jacobson's association with filmmaking began literally at birth. My brother and I were named after um, movie characters. My father is an enormous film buff. So I was named after a cowboy called Clay Hollister, was a character that he liked on American television. And Shane was named after his favorite Western, Shane. And my mother was a dance teacher. From a very young age, she would always rent out the local Progress Cinema and take the dancers in there to watch musicals because they were going to recreate one or two dance sequences from the films. My father was also a boxing trainer. And suddenly my father found himself in this movie called Come Out Fighting. Well, we hope you're enjoying the ringside action at home. And I remember that being a revelation to me as a young boy that, oh my God, my, my father's acting in a film. Well, if he can, then maybe I can get involved in this. Jacobson had the good fortune of plenty of support in his filmmaking interests from an early age. My uh, library school teacher in primary school purchased a reel-to-reel black and white camera and my good mate and I, who had very similar interests, we latched onto this and asked if we could borrow his reel-to-reel. He obviously saw something in us and allowed us to play with this camera for a number of weeks. And this went right through my childhood until about 10 or 11 I purchased a Super 8 camera. And we started making Super 8 films, my friend and I. So it was very um, common for us to ride our bikes into town, watch the latest blockbuster, and then race home and spend the rest of the week trying to recreate the very thing we'd seen. 2001 was an incredibly seminal film for us, and obviously films like Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters. I remember when Star Wars came out, we raced home and I made a paper mache Millennium Falcon and uh, we hung up a couple of black curtains in our garage, a bit of fishing wire hung our uh, Millennium Falcon from it and then filmed it in slow motion and blew it up with flash powder and nearly set fire to the entire garage. That thing of make-believe and backyard know-how sort of filmmaking was very much my whole childhood. With plenty of homegrown visual effects experience already under his belt, Jacobson's affinity for filmmaking expanded as he entered adult life. When I turned 18, my friend and I, who'd been making these films, we actually got into a film school that was known then as the Swinburne Film and Television School. It was hard to get into. I think they only allowed 13 people out of the entire state. What was very apparent once we got to this school was they didn't have the kind of funding that a lot of film schools would normally have. And so we never had the money to have a lot of the new sort of -of state-of-the-art gear. You know, we were watching glass painting work on Star Wars and there was a lot of talk about ultimats and front projection and stuff back then. So we created our own. We were using 3M material screens, a two-way mirror, and we were projecting images through a two-way mirror onto the screen and creating pretty rudimentary, but for a student film at the time, a really interesting sort of effects. And of course, once I left film school as a budding young director... It's very hard to just step into a directing job. 
As a consummate jack-of-all-trades, Jacobson learned to leverage his skills in different crew positions and different projects. I discovered while I was at film school that I had a bit of a knack for editing. So I found myself directing and editing music videos and ended up working with some big bands, anything from U2, In Excess, Crowded House, Midnight Oil. And the great thing about music videos is you're always trying to push the boundaries of what is achievable because the thing that was hard for us as Aussies was that our music videos were ending up on MTV right next to all the music videos that were being created out of the UK and out of America. But we didn't have those kind of budgets. The Michael Jackson video or a Rolling Stones video with millions of dollars put behind it, we were competing with those kind of music videos on budgets of $30,000, $50,000. As he sought to maximize his budgets in music videos, Jacobson gravitated towards commercial directing as another venue for creativity. The Honda Accord V6 with VTEC. I know nothing about cars at all, but I somehow got pigeonholed as a car director and found myself traveling all over the world working on really large budget commercials and mostly for the Japanese. So we were doing a lot of really interesting effects work back then and really pushing the boundaries and working with things like flame compositing and what have you. During his tenure shooting commercials, Jacobson first envisioned the potential of real-time animation. I was working on a commercial, a morning fresh commercial, where we had a character that was shrunken down on top of a tabletop investigating dirty dishes as though he was sort of Richard Attenborough. I'm about to demonstrate how just a tiny amount of new formula morning fresh washes more than ever before. And um, we'd done a really great job. It was very much like a Tom Thumb sort of scenario. And we had giant set pieces in the studio and we were doing a combination of 3D work. I, I remember on this particular ad, they had only just worked out how to do successful refractions and reflections with 3D. So it was a bit of a big step for us and it was looking quite real. But I wanted to move the camera. And the post-production house said, no worries, we can do that move that you want. Come back tomorrow afternoon and we'll show you. And it was a 12-hour wait for the rendering to happen. Meanwhile, I go home and my son is sitting on the couch playing Grand Theft Auto or something like that. And he's moving characters around in a 3D space in real time. And as I walked past his couch, I actually said out loud, Joe, I wish I could put my actors in one of those games and went and sat down in my office, and that sentence kept resonating with me. And the following weekend, I put a green screen up in my kitchen, grabbed my son and my wife, grabbed Grand Theft Auto, and made a sequence of my son being caught in a police chase with his mother screaming at him as he was driving through the streets of LA. And it was pretty crude, but I immediately saw the future at that point. Before he could fully realize what he saw as the future, Jacobson took a brief detour into the life of an in-demand Hollywood director. I made a film called Kenny, which was about the adventures of a toilet plumber. <laughs> and uh, it ended up becoming a bit of a classic comedy hit here. And I found myself in Hollywood doing the Hollywood shuffle, reading scripts and getting caught up in that world for a while. And then I think it was about 2009, Ubisoft brought out a couple of games I think it was Blazing Angels and Heroes Over Europe. And they were aircraft pilot World War II simulation games. And I looked at the graphics and went, oh, well, it's really come a long way since those first tests that I did in the kitchen. 
So I contacted Ubisoft and we managed to do a deal where they gave me a Xbox that had all the HUD displays removed from it. And they gave me permission to use the backgrounds of these games and create a little comedy spoof series on war called Morty Coots. And my brother by this stage had become a bit of a celebrity because he was the star of the film that I made called Kenny. And he starred in this. Just follow me, let's go shoot some stuff. The war, right. And we spent a week in a studio with a green screen. It wasn't sophisticated, we didn't have any tracking. So we were sort of combining stuff by eye and using a bit of old fashioned tracking techniques that we'd used in advertising. I knew the sort of gaming backgrounds couldn't hold up on a large screen, but on a YouTube channel, it might look quite amazing. So we did that and it was a lot of fun and very successful. But again, the gaming backgrounds weren't quite there. Jacobson could see that in order to leverage these technologies in the future, he would need a space to experiment. I moved into the country and we moved into a six acre plot and a couple of horses and a couple of dogs. So I built a nine meter by seven meter film studio and soundproofed it all and had that up the back in the studio, we mapped out a grid on the ground, just a simple grid. And what I said to my son was, if you can create a similar grid in Unreal Engine and keep playing with the lensing controls, and if we can get these two grids to marry up between the camera that I've actually got and the camera that you've virtually got, we might have something. And sure enough, we managed to get them pretty close. There was a little bit of latency, but within about an hour or two, we were filming my father on a green screen in a spaceship. We called it Space Janitor. And I uh, was amazed that in the space of about an hour and a half, we had had an idea, created a visual effect, composited it together, and had a finished piece very, very quickly. That was incredibly stimulating. Cut to a year later, we brought in a six meter screen into the studio and started playing around with LED backgrounds. And that was very, very exciting once we got that working. Because major in-camera VFX shows like The Mandalorian still hadn't come out, Jacobson found hesitation in would-be clients to embrace the process. I couldn't get anyone interested in it. I was still doing commercials and I was often doing commercials at airports and supermarkets and places like that where we we're always having to close them down or shoot in the middle of the night because obviously the owners didn't want the disruption to their clients. And so I was going to these clients with this footage that I had and saying, look, you know, you don't need to shoot in any of your stores ever again. We could just place a couple of aisles in a studio, put up a big LED wall and no one will be the wiser, but no takers. No one really had that much faith, I think, in what I must admit must have been a very strange piece of technology that this man was showing them. Unable to find any virtual production takers, Jacobson returned to traditional filmmaking again and prepared to shoot another feature. We got Guy Pearce and Ben Kingsley attached, and I was about to fly off to Bulgaria to shoot this film on some of the backlots there. They've got a Harlem backlot in Bulgaria, believe it or not, and we were about to shoot this film that's set in New York, and COVID hit and blew everything out of the water. It basically uh, killed the film. We were all suddenly in lockdown, and I had producers saying to me, well, can we do this here? And I said at the time, the only way you could ever do this here is if we had something like the dream screen that I'd been playing with. And it was at that point that 
Mandalorian hit. And suddenly I had something like Mandalorian that I could kind of put beside all the testing that I'd been doing that validated that there was something here. So we spent all of 2020, I put together a crew and we went into a studio. We put up a large volume and we spent a week and a half road testing it, seeing what worked, what didn't, really went to great lengths to try and break it and see what was possible and what wasn't. And that was the beginning of Dreamscreen. So the studio we have now has only really been running since August last year. And yet, ironically, we've been working on all these productions, including the first season of La Brea, a couple of TV series here, one which was called The Fires, which was about the fires that we had here in Australia not long ago. And we created an entire forest and was able to allow the production to make it look like they were sending their cast deep into burning forests in complete safety. I've been working on commercials, music videos, low-budget features. We're getting a lot of international product that's coming in that we're working on. And while all that's been happening, there has been a number of other virtual production vendors springing up at various other parts of Australia. And we're quite a tight-knit little community. With an established virtual production studio, Jacobson pauses to consider the technology's implications for the filmmaking industry. Like any great change in cinema, you know, it's always met with a little bit of pushback. It was no different when sound came in or colour came in or digital versus film. I gave a lecture on virtual production not that long ago in the theatre that I had also lectured at 12 years earlier when I put a demo together for Canon for their DSLR cameras. And I remember having a room full of DOPs telling me they would never turn their back on film. 12 years later, I'm giving a talk on virtual production and the room was filled with a lot of those same DOPs and they were saying, I'm not sure about this virtual production thing. I said, you know, and I said, you may have forgotten you were all here 12 years ago saying the same thing about digital. Put your hand up, those who are shooting film and no one put their hand up. I said, you're all going to be using this technology in the future. Jacobson also sees virtual production greatly enhancing the collaborative nature of filmmaking. All of these different departments, all of these different disciplines need to be in a huddle together a lot longer and a lot more than ever before. You're in the same space all watching the end result come together on the monitors. And I think that's very exciting, not just for the greater appreciation of what we all do, but the simple fact that you do have these terrific minds all working together in real time is that you get really remarkable iterations happening on set that would otherwise be part of a three or four week process. And the other thing that I'm enjoying also is I'm not a young filmmaker anymore, I'm 58. And at a time where traditionally a lot of filmmakers of this age would be going to pasture, the great thing about virtual production is you don't have to have the energy of an 18-year-old to be really valid in this space. I've put together a team of young and old practitioners. Many of our crew have run their own production companies, have been directors, producers, camera people, visual effects artists working with large teams and small teams. And so you've got this huge collective wisdom that is working in this virtual space, but in a very dynamic sense of immediacy, which I find very stimulating. As a successful practitioner in the virtual production space, Jacobson also welcomes newcomers with career advice. Virtual production is a terrific place to start, even just to come in and browse on a shoot day. 
There are so many different tendrils to making virtual production work. We definitely need to skill up a lot of young filmmakers quickly because this technology is actually moving faster than we can occupy it with talent. So I'm doing a lot of work with the local universities. We're having a lot of interns come in and we are going out of our way to make sure that every group of interns we bring in, that there is a very large, diverse range of interests. So the last four interns that we had in here very recently, one was a director that had directed three or four films back in India. The other was interested in grading and color space. The other was an ex-military drone pilot that was fascinated in the technology. And the last one was an Unreal artist. Four very different, distinct interests all came together, spent three months working with us, and they've all sort of stepped away with slightly different ideas of where they now want to head. From the education piece to the industry's future, Jacobson sees virtual production as leaving an indelible mark. One of the first phone calls I got was from one of Australia's best TV writers. And he called up and he said, Clay, I'm so thrilled that you're doing this because now I can start writing the kind of scenes that I'm always being told I can't. I'm always being told to augment three locations into one. Can I blend four characters into two? Please don't expand that concept too much into the sci-fi. We only have a limited budget. He immediately saw that there was going to be room for him to be more creative as a writer. As an experienced actor, he also sees how virtual production benefits performers directly. It's a wonderful space for actors. I got a letter from one of the actor's wives from the series The Fires, just saying how delighted she was to see her husband come home completely buzzing because he said he'd never felt the kind of energy and freedom to perform that he had being in this flaming truck where the imagery outside was so convincing to him, he didn't find it a stretch to emote and place himself in the terror of that moment. And I see it again and again, having directed and and acted, when directors come in here and you've got talent, maybe children, often a lot of the simulated travel stuff we do, you'll have children in the car and the low loader sort of circus that you've got to put together if you're doing this stuff on location with rolling police starts and blocking off roads and what have you, can put a lot of nervousness into the heart of a young actor that is acutely aware that this big machine that you're whirring up is so that that person can act. And then you've got the radio squelching going on inside the car and suddenly this child hears, and action, you know, and and they freeze. What I have seen with a lot of the simulated travel that we do in the studios is the kind of performances that I think directors are getting out of particularly young talent in these sort of controlled settings is really fabulous. So I think it really is a boom for acting. I think it's a great space for directors. A lot of the distractions and the tyrannies of sort of location work can be sort of pushed aside. We'll never lose shooting on location and nor should we, but It still amazes me the different ways that creatives come in and utilize the virtual space.
been listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Clayton Jacobson. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Abel Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. The Virtual Production Podcast is brought to you in part by Puget Systems, an integrator specializing in high-end desktop systems perfectly suited to virtual production. Please visit them at pugetsystems.com. And by Blackmagic Design, one of the world's leading innovators and manufacturers of creative video technology, which also work very well with virtual production. Please also let us know if there's a subject or a guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again, and see you next time.